Well, good morning. That was my wife. She's awesome. <laughs> uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with you this morning. It's a joy to be up here uh, preaching God's Word to you. Uh, and so in case you didn't get to uh, catch uh, my wife, she was reading from uh, Psalm 27. We're going to be looking at two verses today, 11 through 12. And so while you open or load your Bibles, let me begin by simply uh, t- knocking out a couple of things. The first one is that if you are new, uh, we'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to take you out to lunch or grab some coffee or whatevs, your, your choice. Uh, and so there are these Connect cards and the chairs. Uh, fill one out and leave it in the Connect desk, which is in the back. And uh, one of us will get with you within, within a matter of days to, to set up, I don't know, some lunch, whatever you want. Hey, your choice. In addition to that, uh, if you don't have a Bible, take one. That's our gift to you. We have some in the chairs and in addition to that, in the Connect desk in the back. And that's our gift to you. And if you know someone who could use a Bible, uh, then take one and hook them up. Uh, so with all that being said, the, the, the third thing I want to just uh, say is Thank you for allowing me to, to get some time off and away uh, this past month. Uh, my family and I got to have a short vacation, uh, particularly before our son returns to some of his uh, academic and extracurricular responsibilities. And so it was a, a great time. And just thank you so much for your generosity and allowing me to get that time with my family. Also, I know that Nathaniel did a wonderful job uh, preaching these past two Sundays. Yeah, so I am very thankful for him. And uh, as I mentioned this morning, we're going to find ourselves back in in Psalm 27. And so if you are new or if you have forgotten, let me give you a bit of context. A few weeks ago, we began this sermon series in this psalm and titled it Reset. Uh, The goal of walking through Psalm 27 has been to point and direct our mind, heart, and affections toward the Lord Jesus in a way where we slowed everything down as we came out of the spring semester. Uh, The summer is always a good time to find some rest, and for us to walk through the Psalms uh, seems to be a good time to allow us to facilitate rest and meditation and ultimately uh, reset uh, our affections. In Psalm 27, As I mentioned, I want to give you a little bit of context. In Psalm 27, we don't know what is exactly happening. We don't know what King David is facing at this time. We don't know what's necessarily happening around David. But we do know how he has felt toward a number of things, such as fear and lament. We have seen how he has responded to his circumstance by desiring to dwell in the presence of the Lord and through thanksgiving. And today we continue to see David's heart exposed in the face of his circumstance through pursuing and cultivating humility. Author C.S. Lewis defined humility as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Elsewhere, St. Augustine goes on to talk and write about the pursuit of humility, saying, if humility does not precede all that we do, 
then our efforts are fruitless. Humility is one of those virtues that everyone, or I should say, I should say every Christian agrees is necessary, but, only, but many choose to ignore it because it seems impossible and only a few actually pursue cultivating humility. Some of the opposition to humility include pride and, and self-interest, two struggles that we face on the daily, two struggles that, if we're honest, won't go down without a fight. And in brief, pride can be a cocktail of struggles, ranging from entitlement, superiority, arrogance, jealousy, and even laziness and passivity. Self-interest, on the other hand, tends to be served neat. A love for yourself that is greater, if not the priority, over the love of others. And here's the deceiving part about pride and self-interest. It's that they can be seen as virtues because you might be pursuing good things. But at the heart of the matter, there is rebellion. There is opposition to God and the people of God. So what must we do to combat our pride? What must we do to combat our self-interest? Well, we must cultivate humility. But why? Why should we cultivate humility? Is it just so that we're no longer prideful? Is it just so that we close that chapter of our struggles? Here's, here's the main idea of our time this morning. Cultivating humility breeds a deeper appreciation for the gift of God's grace. Say that one more time. Cultivating humility breeds a deeper appreciation for the gift of God's grace. So let me pray, and then we're going to tackle Psalm 27 once more. We are in verses 11 and 12 this morning. Let me pray. God, as we continue to worship you now through uh, the preached word, Lord, my prayer is that your word would be sweeter to us than honey. God, in this time of examining and diving into your word, may you humble us so that we might adore you and receive your mercy and grace. We thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship and adore you. We ask all this in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to start with verse 11, and I'm going to unpack as much as I can, and then we'll go into verse 12. But let's stick to verse 11 for just a minute. During my time away, I, I got to have some really good conversations with my family. Some of those conversations were necessary because it seemed as if each one of us was running on fumes, steaming after a long spring and in need of a break to recharge and to reconnect. Dare I say, reset. Anyway. And as I thought about this sermon, I, I regularly thought about examples to provide you concerning my need to cultivate humility, and I couldn't think of any. Not because, uh, not because of like, oh, look at me. But 
because, not because I don't have any, but because I think my, my desire was to be clever and creative. And that's literally the opposite direction of cultivating humility. And so once I thought that, once the Lord convicted me of that, I immediately realized that I have been surrounded by conversations over the last two weeks concerning pride and humility. One of the things I had confessed to my son while we were away was that I needed to learn to make the distinction between times when he has actually sinned against me and times in which he simply did things differently. And I became upset because he broke my law. He actually didn't do anything wrong. He actually didn't even sin against me. But he challenges my pride. And so I've needed to confess that to him. Additionally, my wife shared with me that I had made a dumb comment several years ago, and because I had never properly addressed it, she felt as though I have had a posture of control over certain decisions in our home, walking in self-interest rather than actually listening to her. Yesterday, I I met with an individual from our congregation, and as we began to catch up, the first thing he wanted to work through was the amount of struggle he has with his pride and how easily it deceives him, equating his hard work with entitlement over certain positions at work or making logical sense out of situations instead of simply listening to brothers and sisters in Christ, realizing this heart of pride isn't just a struggle, it's actually a lifestyle. And it's something that he wants to put to death. Here's my point. We are, and I am, regularly surrounded by the struggle of our own pride and that of our brothers and sisters. We have plenty of examples to consider. I I was convicted by that, and I gave you a few of them. Pride and self-interest must be dealt with severely and immediately because when we don't, when we don't cultivate humility, in essence, we deny God of his glory and we are elevating ourselves above him. Thus, we find ourselves in Psalm 27, verse 11, where David writes, Teach me your way, O Lord. There's a lot to say about these six words. So I want to examine them and how they relate to us, you and I, cultivating humility. First thing I want you to note is posture. And this comes as a way when David writes, teach me. I want you to notice that, right? I want you to notice what David says in this verse, but I want you to notice what he says both in this verse and in the context of Psalm 27. He says, teach me. If you got a pen, you got a highlighter, circle it. Underline it, highlight it, whatever it is your jam is. Teach me. When a Christian cultivates humility, they almost always have a posture of teachability. Because when our hearts are humble, it is then that we are the most teachable. It is there where we actually bear fruit. Having a posture of teachability suggests a number of things, particularly as we read Psalm 27. 
It could suggest, for instance, real-time discipleship. That is, in Psalm 27, David is not simply coming before the Lord so that he would receive information. It is so that he would receive God's counsel and God's will, and in spite of his circumstance, walk in God's truth. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not just growing in knowledge. He wants to know God's will. He desires it. We saw that in verse 4. He wants to know God's will so that he would actually walk in light of God's will in spite of his circumstance. That's, that's real-time discipleship. That's not just sitting at a desk. It could also mean that David, upon saying teach me, he is asking for the pursuit of joy. Remember, we don't know exactly what's happening in Psalm 27, but we do know that David has thought the worst case scenario of whatever circumstance he finds himself in. And as he does that, perhaps one of the things that he asks of the Lord in saying, teach me your way, is the pursuit of joy. And here's what you and I need to know about the pursuit of joy. Oftentimes, we only equate joy to happiness, or we only try to look for joy in heartache, but you and I need to know that happiness and heartache aren't exactly mutually exclusive. You could hear a pin drop. Happiness and heartache are not mutually exclusive. Therefore, as he pursues joy, possibly, he is pursuing it in the midst of happiness and heartache. That could be you. As David writes, teach me, it could suggest that David is asking the Lord to expose his sin. Right? Like oftentimes when we read verses like this and we see them on social media, right? Or we put them in our uh, bios, right? Or you might even have like a tattoo on your wrist so nobody can see under your watch and bracelets, right? And it might even say like Psalm 27, 11, right? Like the whole thing here is you never necessarily think of, man, this, I'm praying this prayer so that God would expose my sin. When was the last time you prayed that? When was the last time you prayed, teach me your way, O Lord, and your motivation behind that was for your sin to be exposed? Perhaps David is is writing, and again, this is a suggestion, perhaps David is writing uh, Psalm 27, verse 11, and saying, teach me your way, and what he's wanting to do is ask better questions. You see, when we consider the circumstance that he finds himself in or circumstances that he has found himself in before, and as we try to relate to some of those hardships, you and I tend to ask questions like, when will this be over? God, when are you going to get me through this? Right? But perhaps teach me your way, O Lord, suggests that I need to learn to ask better questions. Lord, in spite of my circumstance, how are you trying to change me? What are you teaching me? That's a completely different approach to Psalm 27, 11. 
By David opening with those two little words, teach me, it further affirms his previous desire to seek the Lord. Go back to verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after. Now, if you weren't here, if you don't remember, circle the word seek. That the, the origins of that work mean counsel. He is seeking specifically the counsel of God. He is seeking God's will. In addition to that, we talked about God's will being parallel to God's word. It further affirms his previous desire to seek the Lord. At the, at the heart of David's desire is him wanting to know God and his will. A posture of teachability is not only a part of humility, but an awareness that you have not arrived. Christian, do you think you have arrived? Because you read some theology book and you memorized Psalm 23 and you got Philippians 4.13 tattooed on your wrist? Have you arrived Are you a student of God's Word? Is the beginning of this verse ever in your prayer? These aren't on the notes, so you're just going to have to listen. I want you to listen to Paul Tripp on this verse particularly. His need to pray this verse. So just listen. I'll go slow. I won't sip on coffee. Here we go. There are two main reasons to pray this prayer. Once more, he's talking about Psalm 2711. There are two main reasons to pray this prayer. Depth and danger. Why would I pray to be taught again and again and again by the Lord? Because his wisdom is just that deep and vast. His wisdom has no boundary. I pray to be taught because the wisdom of God is just that deep. I also pray this prayer because I live in a world of danger. It's a world where the sounds of falsehood echo more loudly and repeatedly than the sounds of wisdom. Every day, a thousand voices speak into my life, and the vast majority of those voices have not gotten the flowers of their insight from the wisdom garden of the Lord. To begin cultivating humility, our hearts must be teachable. Secondly, and what you're going to notice is as we stick to verse 11, you're going to see that everything builds upon teachability, that posture of teachability. Secondly, to cultivate humility is to cultivate meekness. It's with an M, meekness. Not weakness, meekness. David writes and asks the Lord, Teach me, let me actually go to it, verse 11, teach me what? Your way. 
I want you to note that David does not ask for options. He's not asking for better methods. David doesn't throw the truth of God out by becoming intoxicated by his emotions. Instead, David surrenders. David submits himself to the Lord. David is meek. Author and pastor Aaron Minkiff, also not on the screen, here's what he says about meekness. God delights to use the meekest of men because they are the most obviously dependent upon him. Meekness is not weakness. This is David, the guy who killed Goliath. The guy who's charged into battle. The guy who wrote what is it, Psalm 18 and he says, uh, I beat my enemies as fine as the dust of the earth. Meekness isn't weakness. Additionally, meekness is not compromise. Look at it once more. Teach me your way. He's not negotiating with God. Meekness is not passivity. Well, God's going to teach me, so you know, I guess the Holy Spirit's going to do a work in me, and I'm just going to stand still and receive wisdom by osmosis. Right? It's not passivity. When David says, teach me your way, we see David surrender and demonstrate self-control. He demonstrates self-control. Again, we don't know what it, what's going on, but David could have said things like, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to do this a different way. And he can with the amount of resources that he has, with the kind of position that he has been given. He could do that. Instead, he demonstrates self-control as he surrenders to the Lord. David's heart is centered upon his affection for the Lord in spite of his circumstance. David's desire is to seek after the Lord. Look at verse 8. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Thirdly, David writes, to be led on a level path. Verse 11 still, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. The Psalms, in case you haven't noticed, are, are filled with language of level paths or the paths of righteousness, and, and this is no different. David's prayer involves him uh, asking the Lord to not only lead him so that he would be led, but so that he would exercise discernment. Tim Chalice, and I've read this definition before, here's how he defines discernment, because we're always trying to think through creative ways of de uh, defining it. Here's what he says, discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error, right from wrong. This is consistent with what David has said, particularly in verse 4. One thing I've asked the Lord that I will seek, we circled that word, seek after. He is seeking God's counsel via God's word. 
for what? So that he would apply or exercise discernment. He's not running into his circumstance blind. He's walking into that circumstance using discernment, guided by God through his word so that he would make sound decisions because of the reality of what's going on around him. Discernment is what we use to grow in the maturity of our faith and as we invest ourselves in the word of God. See, apart from the wisdom of God's Word and the work of the Holy Spirit, we won't grow in discernment. What we end up growing in is our own understanding. We become puffed up and conceited with knowledge. Applying and exercising discernment implies that we are in God's Word, using God's Word to make a distinction of our circumstance. Good from bad. Godly from ungodly. Righteous from unrighteous. Before we move into verse 12, Christian, are you teachable? Remember, I told you everything in this verse builds upon David's opening statement of teach me. You're not teachable if uh, your heart isn't surrendered or submitted to the Lord. It's hard to be teachable when you're leaning and relying on your own understanding and dismissing discernment and counsel and wisdom. Are you teachable? For some of you, listen to me, it's simply not enough to know a lot of theology. Some of you are there. Some of you know a lot of theology. And that's great. But you must realize that your theology, although it helps you better understand God and even helps you to define God, it also redefines you as his beloved. Some of you miss that part. Now, some of you may say, well, I'm not a theology junkie and I'm not a theology nerd. That still applies to you. It still applies to you. The, the question of, of whether or not you're teachable still applies to you because you may hear about theology and say, well, that's not really my jam. So then, are you teachable as you find yourself passive? Are you teachable as you find yourself in passivity? Cultivating humility involves a posture of teachability, surrender, and discernment. Let's go to verse 12. Verse 12 provides mm, better clarity as to why we must cultivate humility as, as Christians. I, I mentioned that when we cultivate humility, we, we have a deeper appreciation for the gift of God's grace. And this verse helps us to, to understand that. And so because we're not sure once more of what's happening around David in this psalm, we can only speculate, but there are a number of ways we can unpack verse 12 and apply this verse to our need for cultivating humility. And so let me read verse 12, and I'm going to tell you where I'm going to focus on, right? Verse 12, he says, Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. 
Here's what I want to do. I want to focus on that last statement, that they breathe out violence. And so I'll I'll unpack it to the best of my ability, and each time I'm going to circle back to humility and appreciation for, for God's grace. When David writes that they breathe out violence, he, he is telling us about his enemies, whether they're, they're real and he's being hunted, or this is him just uh, coming up with the worst case scenario about what could happen to him. And so what I want to do with verse 12 is I want to make it personal, that rather than, than saying uh, uh, that they breathe out violence, I want us to look at it instead of we breathe out violence. As we've been talking about our, our, our need our genuine need to cultivate humility, I mentioned that we must investigate why. And here's the first reason. The reason you and I need to cultivate, to pursue humility, is because of our sin. Remember, we're going to make it personal first. It's because of our sin. This phrase tells us a great deal of the depths of our hearts. That, that apart from faith in Christ Jesus, you and I breathe out violence. Listen to Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. You and I have a propensity to desire to sin at great lengths. Former U.S. Navy SEAL Jocko Willink once said that war is hell because it brings out the worst in human beings. I've never been to war, but I would also say so does a wicked heart. A wicked heart brings out the worst in humans toward other humans, particularly inside of the church. Cultivating humility breeds a deeper appreciation for the gift of God's grace. How? Because as we cultivate humility, we are reminded of God's goodness toward sinners who breathe out violence. When we look at verse 12 and say, oh man, they breathe out violence, they breathe out violence, we were those We were the enemies who were breathing out violence in opposition to God and the people of God at one point. And God in his mercy and grace held a mirror out in front of us. And as he held a mirror out in front of us, we were convicted by the depth of our hearts. And upon that, we were rescued and we were redeemed by his mercy and grace. See, it's really easy to look at verse 12 and start thinking about your circumstance or start thinking about that person that said some stuff about you on Facebook. But what about when we make it personal? That that was us. And the only thing that separates us is repentance. The only thing that separates us is that we were convicted and our hearts were broken and our spirits were humbled as the Lord Jesus held a mirror out to our face. And in that moment rescued us, redeemed us. Secondly, when we look at that phrase, breathing out violence, it can also apply to the things of this world and even hardship. Some of you have been through uh, really difficult seasons. 
Some of you have not been through a difficult season, but you find that there is opposition in, in, in our culture, uh, particularly to God and, those who, uh, and, and the people of God. There are people in our community who hate Christians for several reasons. Some of them are personal hurts, and some of them are simply critical and hateful of the God that we love and serve. And when we cultivate humility we learn how to discern temptation, lies, and the loud voices of those who oppose God and the people of God. What you listen to matters. Listening is biblical. It shapes a lot of how we live. The kind of vehicles you drive, the kind of clothes that you wear, Listening is biblical. Therefore, as you and I go out into the world, we need to be listening as to what is going on around us. And in an effort to make distinctions of godly and ungodly, righteousness and unrighteousness, we need to apply discernment because there are those, whether it's individuals or institutions, who breathe out violence. Therefore, we apply discernment. And finally, we've looked at us personally, we've looked at the community or the world around us, but we're also looking at our enemy who breeds out violence. We're looking at Satan. Peter says that he is like a lion seeking someone to devour. Listen to me. Humility doesn't make you weak. See, in in humility, as we surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, in that moment, in that space, we are enabled and empowered to resist Satan, his works, and effects. Cultivating humility doesn't mean producing passive Christians. It means being humble and ready Christians who are humble and ready only because of God's grace for them. And as we close, that's the entire point of these two verses. That cultivating humility and and, and understanding the depths of our hearts is only possible because of God's gift of grace. The, The gift of grace that has been bestowed upon you, Christian. That's why you can surrender yourself before the Lord. That's why you can see the depths of wicked hearts, yourself included. It is because God's grace has been bestowed upon you. See, as Christians, we we haven't arrived. Therefore, we eagerly desire to be taught by the Lord. We were those who once breathed out violence, yet by God's mercy and grace, we have been transformed from enemies to sons and daughters. If anyone knows the depth of wicked hearts, it's us, and it is only because of God's grace that we can cultivate humility and see that we have been transformed for His glory and for our good. This was best demonstrated in and through the life and death of Jesus. 
that he pursued, embodied, and cultivated humility, the kind that David is praying for in Psalm 27 by living the life that we cannot live. He bore our violence on the cross and in our place so that we would be reconciled to the Father. And as a result, Christian, not only does the Holy Spirit reside in you, but you can pursue and cultivate humility because of His grace for you. The more you cultivate humility, the deeper your appreciation of His grace becomes. It is a well of grace that we lavishly drink from that will never run dry. So Christian, are you teachable? Do you feel as though you have arrived? I want you to think about that one. It's not just the theology junkies. It's also the ones who are passive, even lazy. Do you feel as though you have arrived? Does deepening your appreciation for God's grace cause you to worship and adore the Lord Jesus? Or do you ignore and deprive yourself of His grace for you? Humble yourselves before the Lord this morning. Receive His mercy and grace. Confess your sin and fix your eyes upon the Lord Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm really thankful that you are here this morning. And here would be my, my plea. Surrender yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender is, is not merely intellectual. You could ask any Christian, because if it were only intellectual, then all of us simply subscribe to arrogance. Surrender before the Lord is a broken heart. One in need of a Savior. And the Lord Jesus invites you to come and know Him, pardoning anyone who turns to Him in repentance. Therefore, repent and believe. Church, let us remember that cultivating humility breeds a deeper appreciation for the gift of God's grace for us. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that we do not see ourselves as we ought to. We are excessively confident in our own sufficiency. We habitually trust our own wisdom. We constantly overestimate our abilities, our resources, and our strength. And we fail to acknowledge that in reality, we are weak and blind. In our ignorance of the truth, we deprive ourselves of your grace. And so, Lord, we confess to you 
our sin of pride and self-interest. We humble ourselves before you. We, we acknowledge our desperate need for you. And so, Holy Spirit, help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to know our constant need for you. And may we walk in your grace, your strength, and sufferings. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to you this morning. Amen.